Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today, Mike and I are going to look at some of the latest headlines. Doug Peterson out in Philadelphia. He's officially been fired, let go by the Eagles. We're also going to recap some of the playoff games, look ahead to what do the Steelers do? with Big Ben after losing a big upset loss to the Cleveland Browns. Maybe preview some of the matchups as well. Also going to look at Ohio State versus Bama. Bama favored by eight in the college football uh, playoff championship game on Monday night. And then lastly, going to look at the notables from the PFF's top 100 big board. Mike Renner's making an update to the big board on PFF.com for Tuesday. We're going to give you an early look at that. Let's get it. in the studio i'm absolutely loving the shirt choice today got to represent the cleveland browns what an absolutely absurd game last night i cannot believe they come out and just hit him in the mouth i mean marquis pouncey with the overhead uh snap and then four picks from big ben that did not play out as i expected we're going to recap some of the playoff games today as well but before we do that how was your weekend weekend was good a lot of grinding over the draft guide i actually didn't do anything at all like, oh wow really just How, how's the dry january doing that and it was i mean that was part of it so i didn't drink but yeah it was a good time. People are clamoring for Coors Edge, the non-alcoholic beverage to sponsor the podcast. Maybe we will. Speaking of that, I could use it. Fridays every single week, we're going up to three episodes a week now. Every single Friday, we're doing a mailbag episode. The questions that get asked in the Apple Podcast reviews will be answered first. However, they don't show up for like two or three days after you submit them. So make sure you submit them now. I saw five to 10 submitted on January 6th, but I didn't see them before our Friday episode last week. So we're going to add those to this upcoming week's podcast. And if you want to get those in before this week, submit them today in Apple Podcasts when you make your review or reach out via Twitter DMs, IG DMs, Facebook, MySpace, Snapchat, whatever is easiest for you. We'll find a way to get the mailbag episode on Friday with your questions. We have to start here, Mike. I loved your weekend. Try January. That's great. But there's bigger news afoot. Doug Peterson is out in Philadelphia. They fired Doug Peterson. Super Bowl winning Doug Peterson. What is your initial reaction to this? We found out, what, five minutes ago? Yeah. Uh, my initial reaction was shock. Like, I figured that, you know, after that whole Week 17 thing, it was a forward thinking. It looked like it was doing it because him and the front office were on the same page of, you know, trying to move forward and trying to build more through the draft and the guy won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles like just a few years ago he is pretty much by like any measure a good offensive coach in the NFL no there's not a lot of people that tell would tell you that he is not yet after one down season because his franchise quarterback went in the tank about as hard as you know, I've seen any quarterback go in the tank recently. He gets the axe. There's probably something more to it behind the scenes. But this is like, one, he's going to land immediately on his feet. He immediately becomes one of the top options, if not the top option for teams around the NFL in need of a head coach. And two, Eagles' job is not attractive right now. You were tied to Carson Wentz on a terrible contract. You have a roster where all your best players pretty much at this point are over 30, are aging, Lane Johnson, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox. Your cornerstone pieces are not getting any better. I, I, 
I don't know where they go from here. Like keeping Doug Peterson was your best bet to turning things around, in my opinion. They're linked to maybe Mike Kafka now is the report from Ian Rapport, the Chiefs quarterback coach, which like was the guy also under Doug Peterson when he was with the Chiefs. So I, I don't I don't know where you go from here, but it doesn't this is not where I if I'm an Eagles fan, I do not like this direction. I mean say. what it says right now is that they're not ready to compete in the near future, right? I mean, Doug Peterson and this current roster is not going to get that much. I mean, Doug Peterson, if he was kept, the current roster wasn't going to get that much better in 2021 due to the Carson Wentz situation. And like you said, all of their best players being yeah. over 30. Like, it's a tough situation for him. I think the stuff that you spoke to about things maybe being behind the scenes, how much did Doug Peterson want to stay in Philadelphia? That like, could I also honestly be a don't major think it would have been out of the question with how things have kind of rolled out, him benching Jalen Hurts in, in that game. Like, if Doug Peterson wanted to maybe move on. Because I agree with you in that this is the worst head coaching vacancy in the NFL right now yeah. in terms of situation. Like going into this Eagles situation, you are not in a good place to turn things around quickly and push for a postseason berth in 2021. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like this, it I could very much see this being an offseason for the Eagles where it's like a fire sale. Like they're getting rid of the guys that kind of just mentioned Fletcher Cox, Brandon Gray. Like they, they could be major sellers stripping down that roster Roseman and Peterson were not on the same page about what to do with that Peterson saying you know thinks maybe things were good enough to win now Roseman saying you know I'm going to like tear this roster down and that ended up being kind of what led to this but yeah I mean it is by all accounts like I am floored that this happened like I said I think he ends up on his feet fairly quickly oh yeah i mean some people are already rumoring him to be coaching the jets by friday and i think that could be a fit for him he, he's going to get a job very very quickly who's not i i'm interested to see if kafka comes in for the philadelphia eagles i think it makes the number six overall pick that much more interesting as well because if they do go fire sale season in the off season fletcher cox brandon graham maybe Alshon jeffrey whoever it may be yeah. they're also i think going to need to make an upgrade at the quarterback position using that number six overall pick i think they're going to have it, the guy who comes in to coach this team I don't think wants to go into 2021 with Carson Wentz under center. He was one of the lowest graded quarterbacks in the NFL. I think Dwayne Haskins only graded lower than Carson Wentz in 2020. An interesting situation in Philadelphia. Let's jump to Super Wild Card Weekend. Give me some of your biggest takeaways from the weekend, how it's maybe going to impact this offseason. The Browns, man. The Browns and the Steelers. And George, congratulations. Having his victory lap last night this morning after calling them the most overrated team in the NFL after they started, well, I think that was after 10 and 0, they got out to 11 and 0 and what went two and five after starting 11 and 0 since, and just did not belong in the same field for the first half of that game as the Browns. And my biggest takeaway, the biggest like impact this off season is that the Steelers very similar situation to the Eagles. Now, not quite as drastic, mm -hmm. but you got a quarterback that you don't want being your quarterback next year. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, if that's the guy that you're going to get and you're assured you're getting that guy again next year, and you might not even, like at his age, 38, and with like the injuries Things he's could get taken, worse. And the, yeah, he could get worse, could even fall off more. But you're not winning a Super Bowl with that guy. Not in today's NFL, now with Josh Allen, now with Patrick Mahomes in the AFC and Lamar Jackson. You're just not going to. So Hell, not with Baker Mayfield. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not ready to go all the way there. But Don't forget Joe Burrow. And Joe and Burrow. Joe Burrow. Up. I mean, yeah, in the toughest division, probably in football coming up next year also. Um, and the 24th overall pick now, they have to do something at the quarterback position. I actually wrote about it, jpff.com. 
with the way they built that roster, though, with the trade for Mick Fitzpatrick, with the trade up for Devin Bush, mortgaging now to win now, I think they go have to go trade again for quarterback. I think they are, they are the ones who are the Sam Darnold, Matt Stafford, Jimmy Garoppolo, whatever quarterback that's going to be on the market. The Steelers are going to be the ones Carson making Wentz. that phone call. Mm, not Carson Wentz. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Don't go that far. But I, I think the Steelers are the team that should be making that phone call because I, I think you just have to re- – like anyone watching has to realize – the Steelers this year realizes that they're not going to win a Super Bowl with Ben Roethlisberger right now, the way he was playing. I mean, three of the teams that lost in Super Wildcard Weekend, I think, have to get overly aggressive at upgrading the quarterback position in the offseason. The football team, the Chicago Bears, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm-hmm. And they can't do it via the draft because of draft positioning. I think they are going to be the ones who are on the phone looking to get after a Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe Derek Carr is on the market. Even, I mean, Sam Darnold makes sense. Matthew Stafford. Like, you're going to have to chase a veteran piece here because you're, you're simply not going to get it done. Maybe even the Indianapolis Colts. Phillip Rivers is going to be a free agent following this season. He could return to the Indianapolis Colts. I think he mm-hmm. ranks inside the top 10 on PFF's latest uh, free agency rankings for 2021. But, like, those are four teams right there that need to look to 2021 to make aggressive upgrades at the quarterback position. Maybe the Colts, in this in this case, bring back Phillip Rivers. The most interesting one there to me, and that I think if I were to choose one of those who should probably go draft quarterback, it's the football team. Because you got the, the Bears, you just look at the overall situations of the Bears and the Steelers and how much money they've laid out to veterans. Like mm-hmm. they don't have space and stuff to do. The Washington football team, the amount of like good players, the blue chip players on that roster are on their rookie contracts. They have this sort of kind of you have a window then that can expand longer into the future and I think they don't need they don't need to trade a first rounder for Matt Stafford right now that's not going to necessarily put you over the edge if you can you know move up into a situation where you get a Trey Lance on that roster or someone like that they they can trade up from 19 I believe they're at or is it 18 19 or 18 I think it's 19 all the way up to number eight, number nine, something like that, and get a guy like that and get one of those quarterbacks, I think they're the team that probably should make a move like that. That would be awesome to see because I do think that even adding Matthew Stafford, Garoppolo, Wentz, any of these veteran pieces, it's not going to improve the football team significantly enough because there's still a lot of pieces they need, both defensively and offensively. As good as that defense was, you know, starting Cole Holcomb and John Bosick at linebacker, in the secondary outside of Fuller and Cameron Curl late, they had underperformed. You know, Ronald Garby out there. Or not Garby, sorry, Ronald Darby. Darby. <laughs> Ronald Darby starting an outside corner. Um, it's, it's wild to think about, though, of the four of the six wildcard teams that did lose, four of them I do think need to get aggressive upgrading the quarterback position. And then you have the Seattle Seahawks, who in weeks one through eight, Russell Wilson was an MVP candidate. And then the eight weeks after that, really fell off the wheels, ranked outside the top 20 in PFF grade. And for the Tennessee Titans, I think that was – they got hit in the mouth. You know, Derek Henry, Derek Henry the MVP, 2,000-yard rusher, wasn't enough. I mean, he averaged under two yards per carry in that game. And when you're going against the Baltimore Ravens defense playing that well up front and Arthur Smith continuing to try and establish the run, chase that magic number, 24 carries or whatever it was, you're not going to win a ton of football games. That's why I talked to Eric Eager recently, and I know we're kind of derailing from the conversation a bit, but he compared Arthur Smith to Brian Dable, two offensive coordinators that have helped young quarterbacks exceed expectations in a lot of ways. Brian Dable, from a play calling perspective. Hill, not quite that young. But yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Not that young. Fair, fair, fair enough. Both quarterbacks have exceeded expectations. Brian Dable is a very creative play caller and does not run the football on early downs and, and makes good decisions yeah. on early downs. Arthur Smith 
while he has been creative as a play caller and gotten the best out of Ryan Tannehill, still is very much committed to running the football, establishing the run, you know, imposing his will. And I think that's a reason if I had to compare the two, I'd be leaning Dable as a coaching candidate uh, because that part of the game matters. Picking up Eric Eager, the, the data scientist here at PFF, calls them easy wins, like free wins as a coach and as a play caller and decision maker on the sidelines. And you know, throwing the football at a high rate on early downs, going forward in high leverage situations on fourth down, um, you know, time management, all those things. Pre-snap motion is another free win in the analytics, you know, mm-hmm. when you're looking at the analytics. I think Arthur Smith, a little bit concerning in this matchup because I don't think you need to chase any magic number against Baltimore Ravens. You need to score points if you're going to beat Lamar Jackson. Well, and you need to go for it on fourth and two from the opponent's 40 what? 42? Yeah, that was, that, that's a concern. That was... That that's was more Vrabel, though. Yeah, but that that was still the Titans. The amount of teams that played not to lose this, like the Colts, got a lot of shit for trying to play to win, and they lost because they you know went for a fourth three. But as seven point dogs. But yeah, but they were they were not favored to win. They were on the road. The Titans played the opposite and didn't catch a lot of shit. The Bears played the opposite by not even trying to attempt a two minute drill against the saints and lost like some like both both ways have their downfalls i'll say but you only get real the criticism when you go and be aggressive on it but like playing not to lose cost the titans and the bears chance to win those games absolutely and the steelers Steelers punted early in that football game as well. Well, I mean, they they had their other fair share of mistakes. No, there's other fair share of mistakes, <laughs> but there were two P- Mike Tomlin yeah. punts where you're like, what is going on? Yeah. And I think you can't play. And I think uh, I saw in the postgame presser, it brings up trust your defense. If you trust your defense, why don't you go for it and trust them to stop them 40, 50 yards from the goal line? Yeah. If you trust your defense, I don't like that this. I think teams and coaches are overvaluing trust in their defense and field position. You can go win those football games when you have those high leverage short downs. All right. Off of the postseason recap, Super Wildcard Weekend, have a ton of really interesting matchups coming up. I'm excited to preview some of those in later episodes this week. Bills-Ravens is going to be an absolute treat. And I think Chiefs-Browns Chiefs could be fun as well, especially if Stefanski comes back. That revenge tour could be interesting. But let's look ahead now to the game on tonight. So if you are listening to this tomorrow, maybe Tuesday, this We're will be kind of our preview yeah. here. But Ohio State-Bama, Alabama favored by eight against Justin Fields and the Buckeyes. What are your initial thoughts here? What are you looking for from Justin Fields, the number three prospect on PFS board right now, and some other prospects in this game as well? My initial thought is I love that plus 265 number. Like, I I think Bama will win, but I think that Ohio State could come out kind of like they did against Clemson and just punch them in the mouth because they are, in terms of talent offensively, maybe more talented than Alabama. Wow. Like, yeah, Devontae Smith, exceptional wide receiver nothing against him fantastic offensive line but like Ohio State has Chris Olave who's probably a first round at least on our board a first round type of wide receiver and Garrett Wilson who is also going to be a first round wide receiver the next and Julian Fleming who is an interesting true freshman that has played well for them and then Justin Fields a quarterback who is higher at the position on our board uh, in terms of projecting to the NFL draft and a better runner and like a dual threat that's those guys have given Nick Saban his defense's troubles over the years a fantastic offensive line in their own right. Like this is a offense that I we said it before. And I, I guess I didn't say it before the Alabama game. Cause it wasn't on the pod that week. Get Alabama Notre Dame game to beat this team. You're going to have to outscore them. Notre Dame didn't have that. It was never going to have a chance. Alabama cannot score Ohio state in any, 
excuse me, Ohio State can outscore Alabama any given game. So I like, I, I think it's a closer sort of toss up between who wins than that plus 265 number. Here's the bet I like. It's a teaser. And for those who don't bet avidly, a teaser is when you lay six points to the bet you like in two different spots. And then the bet, the book will normally give you minus 110 or near even odds. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to do for this eight point spread is I'm going to tease, or it's eight and a half in some spots as well. I'm going to tease Ohio State to plus 14 and a half and then tease the total down to 69 from 75 and root for the over and Ohio State, the dogs, to cover 14 and a half in two teaser lakes there. The reason I like that is, one, I like Ohio State to cover 14 and a half. And I think rooting for the dog tonight is going to be a great time. And anytime you're watching the college football playoff, slinging a few beers back, having a good time. Not me. You want to be rooting for the over, not you in dry January. You want to be rooting for the over. And yeah. over 75 well, is I mean, rich. you don't ever want to be rooting for an under. It's you, true. You look like a huge asshole. If you're with people. Yes. By yourself, you can like selfishly. So let's go Ohio State plus 14 and a half. And then the over tees down to 69. And let's root for that tonight, yeah. fellas. I really like that. From a prospect's perspective, it's going to be a lot of a lot of bright lights on Justin Fields. Someone asked me recently, if Justin Fields plays well in tonight's game, maybe upsets Alabama here, mm -hmm. do you think he could overtake Zach Wilson as the number two quarterback in this class? <sighs> yeah, if, if like you really as a lights-out performance, yes, I think so. Um, I, I think the most where I'm going to be watching the closest – is the line of scrimmage. Um, I, I do like the Olave against Sertan matchup and Sertan against a couple legit wide receivers. But I think that the line of scrimmage where you got Jonathan Cooper uh, for Ohio State, Tyreek Smith, uh, Tommy Togiai. Haskell uh, Garrett. Haskell Garrett. You got a, like one of the most underrated defensive lines. Just because they don't have a Chase Young doesn't mean they're not good. This is a very good defensive line. We saw it against Clemson. Going up against Landon Dickerson, Alex Leatherwood, uh, Deontay Brown for Alabama like those they haven't seen a defensive line like Ohio State's they, they've seen some good individual players but I think this is going to be the toughest defensive line probably better than Georgia's that they've seen all year is Landon Dickerson suiting up in this game I know he was battling an injury oh is he not let's see hmm yeah I think he's out in this game oh, I think shit. he's still well, battling back from an injury he had he had surgery recently but the other the other guard to watch in this game have you seen this monster that plays left guard, Deontay Brown, redshirt senior for Alabama? Yeah. He's six foot three, 360 pounds. The dude is an absolute unit. Fun to watch is, is what I'll give him the tag there. I think he's one of the prospects that uh, Dame Brugler highlighted in his piece for The Athletic that he's watching tonight. He's going to be a treat to watch because he's just a huge human being. But um, the teaser, plus 14 and a half, total down to 69. You like the money line at plus 245. I think it's going to be prospects galore. Chris Olave, Justin Fields, Wyatt Davis, Christian Barmore, by the way, have to bring this story up. So Tommy Kramer's dad, I think Tommy Kramer is from Cincinnati, the yeah. interior offensive lineman for Notre Dame. Tommy Kramer's dad runs into PFF underscore Anthony, Anthony Trash, who's been on the podcast before, at the YMCA all the time. And he always talks about PFF and Kramer and how he's playing and all that stuff. Tommy Kramer's dad said that all five of the Notre Dame offensive linemen said the best player they faced this season was Christian Barmore of Alabama. And they added that of Alabama's defense talks shit more than anybody in the league, anybody in college football. The only guy that didn't, Christian Barmore, which is interesting. I think a very, very interesting. He was also a baller as a basketball player. I'm doing the backgrounds yeah. and looking at some background information, like recruiting status and you know high school career and stuff like that for the NFL draft guide that comes out on the 25th of January. Christian Barmore apparently was like a legit baller as a basketball player in high school. So I like to throw up those highlights at one point. He is GT1 pretty, I feel like pretty easily in this class. Yeah. Not a good class, but I think he is pretty much easily. Let, wrap that one up.
One more headline here before we jump into the top 100 big board. The rumor is that there's not going to be a 2021 NFL scouting combine. <laughs> that and and that will add to this as well. We can react to both of these things. The Miami Dolphins and the Carolina Panthers will be coaching mm -hmm. the 2021 Reese's Senior Bowl, which is still going on despite the combine potentially being yeah. postponed or not even held altogether. That's Senior Bowl going on, and like they will also have the Hula Bowl and the Gridiron so Showcase going on, which that's necessary. Like need that's a big part of the evaluation for a lot of those guys, so especially like some of the smaller school guys getting invited there. Combine and probably no pro days again this year. You're probably going to get, uh, you know. Camera dancers four two two. Yeah, you're gonna get camera phone. dancer tweeting out a video that shows him running a four two. You're gonna get a lot of guys running four threes this year at their own pro days. Oh, man. Just that's that's, <laughs> gonna, so that's what's gonna happen. It, honestly, <laughs> but I I think the combine. Like I'm really gonna miss the combine. Like I that it's that massive. to me is what the NFL draft is all about. Is that you're just completely overhyping and like over the top valuing craziness like nonsensical things like how fast they run i guess how fast Hand they run size, doesn't matter but like the, yeah this like these how they crazy the numbers that to me is like quintessential what i love so much about the draft is that it gets analyzed from just absurd perspectives and not having that it really like takes a piece out of the this spring for me plus the hangovers in indy hit different we should go to the hula bowl instead Mike I, has already pitched it to me. I, I wouldn't mind going to Honolulu for a bit. I told that'd Austin, be dope. I told Austin what was this last week. I said DM the Hula Bowl from our main account, asking for them to fly us down there. We'll consider. And you didn't. We'll consider a trip to the Hula Bowl. Maybe we'll consider a trip to the Hula Bowl. But for the combine, I think the legitimacy of numbers is a concern. You want consistent athletic testing across the board, um, and not being there for the rumors. The, Ian Rapport has said this. Other NFL like. Um, reporters have said this that the biggest opportunity for trade rumors and offseason movement and players is at the combine when all these guys are together and they're mm -hmm. talking about it. i mean it's where like the obj trade apparently like originated in that conversation like a lot of that matters at the combine which will be unfortunate if it indeed doesn't go on dolphins panthers coaching the senior bowl not massive news i saw a report that 10 to 15 10 to 20 teams, teams passed on yeah. coaching the senior bowl and i don't think that's so much about the game as is about COVID. COVID. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we passed on going to the Senior Bowl yeah. this year because of COVID. So. But uh, a little uh, prelude to the Senior Bowl, or preview of what we're going to do during the Senior Bowl. The plan is post-practice studio shows once we get the film after every day. You mm. stoked for that? We're going to be in here late night, grinding, grinding the tape. So looking forward to that. So there's right. a massive market for... There's a massive market. A, dude. A we're going to have people banging on the door to get in. Like, let me just get a piece of the tape. Just, just one angle. End zone view, please. Anyway, let's jump now to your latest PFF Top 100 Big Board. And before we do that, let's take a quick break. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription access and one year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new bettors better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. 
Compensated endorser. Products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. This big board, you can see the full big board, all top 100 players on PFF.com as early as Tuesday morning. We're going to run down the list a little bit, skim in some areas. not going to read every single player on the podcast, but talk about some of the notable players and notable rankings on this latest big board for PFF.com. Starting with, so Trevor Lawrence 1, Zach Wilson 2, and then Justin Fields 3. We just had the conversation about Justin Fields. If he does ball out against Alabama, maybe we see these guys flip. But talk about the current ranking and where they stand. Yeah, and so if we obviously in our draft boards will cake in positional value and so as everyone should yeah so quarterback like penny sewell is a better offensive tackle prospect than zach wilson is as a quarterback prospect but if you have the number one overall pick and you need a quarterback you're going to go and you need an offensive tackle you're going to go zach wilson every single time so that's how we kind of assemble this draft board um to get that out of the way and then this one's the interesting conversation. Fields versus Wilson, I think, will go up until, you know, the New York Jets say they're decided on one of them or like or until they're rumored on one of them. And so I think it, it just is a legitimate conversation. Both have kind of all the physical tools you could want for the position. It's really going to be in kind of an eye of the beholder thing. To me, Zach Wilson and just the throws he can make from – any body position combined with his athleticism, scrambling ability, that just wins in the NFL today. Being able to, you know, not necessarily have things be perfect around him, but still deliver strikes down the football field. You've just seen it a lot more from him than you have from Justin Fields. Not saying Justin Fields can't do it. I mean, he had that really nice throw kind of under pressure, uh, like the 58 yarder or whatever to, was it those two Olave against Clemson? Like he's shown it at times, but I think Wilson showed it like week in and week out far more than Fields has over his career. But again, we're not selling any of these guys short. If we put a quarterback like at the top of our draft board, we think he's worthy of the number one overall pick. Any of those three guys could would be like worthy of the number one overall pick. Two things here. One, Zach Wilson, when you speak to like how consistently he shows that arm talent on tape, I mean, he led all college football in those throws from the opposite hash outside the numbers and had a ton of success, a high PFF grade on that, higher than what Joe Burrow put out, higher than a lot of quarterbacks in this class. And then two, I think... With the quarterback conversation, I don't think it is as simple as Zach Wilson versus Justin Fields, who's the better one, will take him. I do think situation matters. Jordan Palmer has talked about this. We've talked about this a ton. Who of these two do you think you can build a winning offense around more quickly? Because with Lamar Jackson, it was, we'll bring him in and change everything, and we're gonna, we can find ways to win with him. Josh Allen, they've changed a lot about that offense with Brian Dable, added different pieces to win with him. I do think as an offense and as a, as a front office, you say, okay, who are we in a position to run the best offense with and win with right now? And if it is a more mobile quarterback that will probably run the football more in the NFL, it'll be Justin Fields. If it's a mobile, big-armed, arm-talent city quarterback like Zach Wilson, then you take him. I, I do think that... How you want to run your offense matters in this conversation when the Jets are picking at two, Dolphins at three, and then Falcons there at four, uh, potentially considering uh, a quarterback as well. And I think the interesting thing with Wilson is he already has a hose. Like he, he has throws like 65 yards down the field through the air on his tape already. And he's skinny. Like Aaron Rodgers coming out. Um, I remember this was like right back when Daniel Jeremiah was starting. He tweeted out, like on Twitter, he tweeted out that like he he gave Aaron Rodgers like he thought Aaron Rodgers had like a six arm on a scale of seven coming out of Cal. Like he had a good arm, but not great. And now like on a scale he, of seven. Yeah, that's what they weird do. But yeah, okay. So <laughs> it, he had like a good arm, but not a great arm coming out of 
Cal, but was also a skinnier guy coming out, only 21 years old coming out of Cal uh, in his third year, and then filled out, and now he had a seven arm. I think like Zach Wilson, with how big he is, if he got stronger, could actually get like he can add more arm strength and weight to his frame, and could actually even like there's untapped arm strength there. That's scary. Speaking yeah. of a guy who has an absolute howitzer, and we won't touch on him a ton, but he ranked at tenth on your draft board is Trey Lance. Yeah. I turned on his tape this weekend, and there are some throws that he look makes it look effortless, similar to Michael Vick did. You know, mm-hmm. at the flick of the wrist, 40, 50 yards downfield. He never looks like he's laboring. It's like the complete opposite of what Philip Rivers does these days on like 20-yard throws. This guy like is legitimately effortlessly, effortlessly putting the ball downfield with ease. He's also a bigger dude. Uh, Trey Lance is an interesting prospect, man, because when we talk, we continue to talk about situation mattering and offense mattering. Like Trey Lance is a guy that I think a lot of offense coordinators, a lot of teams could bid build winning offenses around. Like Trey Lance isn't the third, second or third best, best quarterback prospect in this class, but I still think should be considered a top five, top 10 pick because of the value he brings to an offense as a potential centerpiece. And Lance is a good example of kind of what I was talking about with that Zach Wilson filling out. He, he showed up as a two-star recruit to North Coast State at 190 pounds. He is now 230 pounds, completely remade his body, and has a hose that would never have been a two-star recruit if he was physically developed like that coming out of high school. So that, like, he's he's still obviously a toolsy prospect that's not a finished product that you're drafting because of those, you know, that skill set. But uh, I, I do think he's kind of the reason why uh, you draft he's going to get helped by guys who have had success in that mold in recent years. The only offers Trey Lance had coming out of Marshall high school, Minnesota's Marshall high school in 2018 were Western Michigan, South Dakota state, Northern Illinois, Cornell Brown, Boise state. And then obviously North Dakota state only had over only had 1400 passing yards and 14 touchdowns as a quarterback at Marshall in the year prior and also played safety for that Mm -hmm. team. Three year starter um, for Trey Lance. All right, let's look more at this big board here. You have right now, and I agree with it wholeheartedly. You're going to get some flack for it, but I agree with it wholeheartedly. Jalen Waddell at seven and then Devontae Smith, the Heisman winner. First got first receiver to do it since um, I can't remember his name. Oh, Desmond Howard. Desmond Howard. Yep. Devontae Smith at eight. Explain to me why Waddell over Smith. It's like one spot. But <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, that's a good. Point they're too. both top eight players on the board, seven and eight. And but talk about you better know I, what you want to do with these guys. You're not doing the same things you do with Waddle as you do with Devontae Smith. Yeah, it's, 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 they're different players. They offer different skill sets pretty wildly. That level, the level of speed, agility that Waddle brings to the table wins immediately at the NFL level. Like that immediately brings something to the table that it's almost like a high floor then at that point. Um, that you just know he's going to threaten defenses with that speed. You know there's certain things you could do from, with, with him that you can't do with other wide receivers that run four or fives. And so I just feel more comfortable about that. And, like, and he's got damn good ball skills, too. That catch he made against Missouri in their first game was ridiculous. He's shown those all over his tape. His contested catch rate over the course of his career has been very good, even though he's like 185 pounds. So Jalen Waddell, like, if he doesn't get hurt, I don't think this is a controversial opinion whatsoever. You know, what's interesting about Waddle is I tweeted out um, about his size, 5'10", 180, 
talked about how maybe that might be a concern. Just 180 pounds, similar to Devontae Smith, who's way thinner because he's 6'2", six six like one, 175, 172 in some spots, depending on where you're seeing that weight listed. And then Footwork King, I don't know if you know who that is. You follow him on yeah. Twitter. But the NFL has recently taken to what he's done. He works with a ton of receivers in the NFL. Immediately DM'd me and said, not going to be a concern. They asked CeeDee Lamb to play at 190. You know, mm-hmm. and he's six foot one. They asked Odell to play at 198, McCole Hardman to play at 185. Like, they don't, I don't think it's going to be as big of a concern as maybe some others made, even including myself. And I think that context, I think, is important. I, it's very similar well, to. Nicole Hardman's not going to help your case there, but yeah. What'd you say? Nicole Hardman's not really helping. No, your that's case true. Here, but that's yeah. true. But I'm saying what NFL teams are asking <laughs> yeah. him to play at, I think oh, is yeah, yeah. He's not going to. It's gonna, a similar, it's a similar yeah. conversation with the linebackers. I remember, you know, mm-hmm. two or three years ago, it was like he's not, he's barely scratching 230, he's not 240. Dude, they asked yeah. Darius Leonard to play at 215. Yeah. You know, they ask other linebackers to play even lighter, which I think is um, obviously super interesting. Jalen Waddell over Devontae Smith right now. Um, exciting stuff. I, I really like it. And what then Jamar are, Chase, your obviously, wide receiver one, though, still. What is your opinion on Devontae Smith and the Marvin Harrison Ju- senior comps? I always, like, push back against cop to someone at that level. Like, you better, be, you better be pretty damn sure about that guy if you're going to throw out that comp. But in terms of who he most resembles physically that you would say that that guy won at the NFL level so it's not impossible yeah Marvin Harrison would be the guy that you would point to and say hey he won as a just string bean of a wide receiver because he did everything else extremely well so like I also think the game has changed then since though since then to like to more favor receivers like that also I'd say yeah so another receiver that's been brought up with Devontae Smith is Isaac Bruce who I think at the combine weighed in close to 175 pounds in a similar build. So there are some receivers that have done it. It's few and far between, but there are some receivers that Devontae Smith built. And, and I think like the only NFL. reason you haven't seen it since is because like weight programs have gotten better. True. <laughs> true, know, like, true. It's hard to be that small. Like it's all, yeah. It's almost like it's almost the only red flag is like, why hasn't he put on more muscle? Yeah. You know, like it's not impossible. I think modern weightlifting science will tell you that, pretty much every single person can get strong. Like you can get stronger than 175 at the, at his height. So true. But yeah. All right. Moving forward here. Another notable on this big board is you have Rayshon Slater coming up to 12, the Northwestern offensive tackle. Where's number 70 played left tackle in 2019. I think, and in 2018 mm-hmm. opted out of the 2020 season. Um, and honestly, turning on the tape with Rayshon Slater in 2019, I, I pulled this stat before we jumped on the podcast going against Kenny Willekes, Zach Bond, Chase Young, and A.J. Epinesa, four of the better edge defenders in the Big Ten in 2019. He allowed two pressures, one yeah. to Zach Bond and one to A.J. Epinesa. His feet are absolutely absurd. He might not have the arm length that's desirable at the position, but he's very athletic, very quick with his feet. And from a technical standpoint, you don't win that often as a pass protector against that level of competition unless you're doing something right from a technical standpoint. And you see that on tape as well. Yeah, I rail against it all the time, and I fell for it myself. I said... A real against like highlight real scouting. You don't see a lot of highlights from Rashawn Slater. There's no. not a lot of blocks where you're like, damn, that was. You don't see like pancakes on his tape. You won't see blocks where you're like, you're like, wow, what was that? But you also will not see him lose much of ever. He got overpowered a few times. I feel like at offense tackle, uh, I evaluated him as a guard because you know he is six three, three ten. Uh, like that is not a lot of offense tackles in the NFL playing that. But like his feet really are. I think you mentioned the, what he can do in terms of mirroring edge rushers is special. And that is 
percent, maybe if not more, of playing off tackle in the NFL is positioning, Re- maintaining Bounce, your too. relative position to the guy you're blocking. Um, you bring it up you all the time, it though. As, it's, it's movement well skills with the feet and balance, and you see yeah. that with Rishon Slater. I remember yeah. you raving about Jonah Jackson and his balance, and I think yeah. you taught me a lot about when you are watching offensive linemen, you're looking for these traits as athleticism and those things, where that shows up like on the football field is how, how often are they on the ground and how yeah. often they are, are they in good positioning uh, on, uh, at offensive line. So I think that's impressive for Rashawn Slater. What'd you say? It's tough to block on the ground unless you're cut It block. is tough to block on the ground. Um, all right, next, similar conversation is Christian Darisaw, the offensive tackle of Virginia Tech, is moving up to 15 on the top 100. Before we jump off of Slater, had to drop some fun facts from the draft guide, a little preview here. Only offers coming out were Northwestern, Illinois, Kansas, Rice, and Wyoming. He was a two-star recruit, shot put and discus in high school, and his dad is Reginald Slater, former NBA player. Played for eight mm-hmm. years for the Raptors, yeah. Nuggets, and Timberwolves. All right, but for Darisaw, an interesting background in his own right is an absolute bruiser. I love the comp you made in a, in a DM on Slack with me and Steve. Like that, I think that comp is great. Go ahead and say it. Air Flowers. Yeah. But without like the off-field that made Eric Flowers, Eric Flowers. Yeah. Like Eric Flowers. The work ethic, I don't think, is a concern with yeah. Christian Darisaw. Got drafted top 10 because he is just, he had like can throw other human beings around like it's nothing. He's got and a similar he often like, to Flowers too. And he often like acted as if it was nothing and didn't necessarily have the highest sort of motor or wasn't the most, uh, you know, you could tell when like an offense line has got some nastiness to him. That was not Eric Flowers. Honestly, it's not really Darisaw either, but... He continually has blocks on his tape where you're just like, damn, he is physically on a different level than anyone he's going up against. He had a block against North Carolina, Chasserat, where he has him 30 yards down the football field. <laughs> he is running with Chasserat down the football field. Chasserat will get drafted probably in second round. Running with second round linebacker down the football field. That's a different level of just physicality that makes your life a lot easier at the NFL level. We always, I feel like, fall in love with these guys. And office tackles to college like Jack Driscoll, undersized guys who can pass protect 19, 20-year-olds and not worry about getting bull rush. And then it comes to the NFL and they can't really hold up in the pocket. Darisaw, that's not – like that is a given that he's not going to get bull rushed back into his quarterbacks. Darisaw likes Slater too. Gives you some leeway. Darisaw likes Slater was not heavily recruited. He only had one Power 5 offer coming out in 2016. It was Virginia Tech. And he had to take a prep year. I think, I think he was not a consensus three-star, maybe even a two-star – before taking a prep year at a military academy. And then after that prep year, Fork Union Military School, after that prep year, committed to the Hokies in 2018. So I think he's a little bit older. Hmm. But Darisaw, an absolute unit, and I think he doesn't have a... I wouldn't say he has a ton of like notable, like nasty highlight reel tape, but he's a he's a monster that pushes people around. Like that Chaz Rat thing, I don't think it's as much nastiness. It's just like pure ability for Darisaw. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like he didn't end up... He doesn't end up... On top of guys, he's not like a Landon Dickerson highlight reel. Yeah, but like Landon Dickerson's like an asshole. Like plays to, like one. Yeah, like Darisaw just like beats you and like goes back into the huddle. Yeah. All right, uh, next guy we're gonna bring up on this big board. Remember, you can check out the full big board as early as Tuesday morning. All 100 guys on PFF.com, but we're just going through the notables. 18. I watched a ton of this guy's tape over the weekend too. He's a fun player. Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, the linebacker for Notre Dame. Yeah, I think I want to bring up. JOK and Nick Bolton, who comes in at 20, kind of in the same vein of, uh, one, I like this linebacker class as opposed to a lot of kind of recent ones because we got Zayvon Collins down at 32 also. So four guys in the top 32 with Mike Parsons. And they're 
kind of a pick your poison in terms of those three, Jeremiah Oskoromo, Nick Bolton, and Zayvon Collins in terms of, I could see like, I could see a, depending on the scheme you run and the role you want at linebacker position, you could have either of those three guys tops on your board. Being the most productive After too. Parsons, obviously. Being your number two linebacker because Bolton's kind of, you love Bolton for just his fact that you can plug him in between the tackles and pretty much ask him to do anything and he'll be good at it. Like I think he'll just be solid across the board. Jeremiah Wuskoromo has special coverage ability. We talked about Darius Leonard playing at 215. He's 215 pounds. I'm not too worried about it. And then Zayvon Collins is this just hulking off-ball blitzer, do whatever, take on blocks in the run game. Maybe not the greatest coverage linebacker, but you can get away with him there. I, I think I'll, I'll comment on all three. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa is going – there is no combine, but he would absolutely shatter all the explosive yeah. metrics, like all of the explosive testing. Well, because, what was his – He was so he was on the freaks list. It was something like 44 pull-ups or something that yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. was just like out of this world. He, that one still blows my mind. He like shoots out of a cannon. Because he is just – yeah. So I was talking to Ben Fennell, though, who I think does some of the NFL draft stuff for NFL, the NFL. Yeah. Um, he was saying he likes him at safety, and I can kind of see it. I can kind of see him playing like a box safety role in the NFL where he's like a box slot type because like That's purely funny. in between the tackles, like a Nick Bolton role, what he's going to play in the NFL, mm-hmm. I don't think is the best fit for Jeremiah Wusukormoa. I think he's better serving as that outside linebacker type that like works the slot a lot more in those things. Oh, no, he was perfect in that role, and I would try to get him. Like I said, like I said it depends on the role you're projecting these guys to. I would try to get him in that as much as humanly possible, but like – if you're calling him a safety and you're a team that plays, you know, versatile safeties where you're moving your safeties around and he's mm-hmm. going to have to play deep, I think you're ruining him. His best attribute is just That's his fair. short area quickness and the way he can explode to ball carriers into, uh, into like in into blocks around the line of scrimmage. If you're going to be yeah. using him as a deep safety, you're just not going to get that. So I don't. For Nick Bolton, I think what I was most impressed with, one, the dude hits every single guy he comes in his path with, like, absolute ferocity. Oh, yeah. There was, like, so – I was counting the amount of times he hit the quarterback kind of late and just buried him into the turf and didn't get called for it from a penalty. Like, he didn't get penalized for it. Like, I don't think he's going to get away with that in the NFL. He also has that hit, I think, against Arkansas or maybe – Il- Yeah, Arkansas, where he gets out. ejected. But that was absolute trash call from for Nick Bolton. He, he hits hard. Yeah, the other was, thing, too, you, is if that – you're, If you're a defensive player, linebacker, safety, and you don't have one targeting on your – this is going to sound bad. If you don't have one targeting <laughs> in your career, you're probably not, you're probably not like, getting after it enough. You know? There you go. I'll, I'll take that's it. Gonna, that's going to sound it. bad. That might but, come back to bite you. But yeah. with the other thing I noticed about Nick Bolton, he's like, what, six foot, 230, boxy frame, built like a cinder block in a lot of ways, but he's not stiff. He moves sideline to sideline really, really well. Lateral agility is like not, it's not freaking absurd, but I don't think it's a concern like maybe you would expect with a guy of his frame. And then for Zayvon Collins, monster, we've talked about his background before, freaking population of 3,300 people in Hominy, Oklahoma, played safety, linebacker, defensive line, quarterback running back wide receiver in high school and was absolutely dominant and i think the best role for him and everyone's going to say this the entire draft season you could quote me on it in a bill belichick brian flores type of scheme where you're blitzing the linebacker and bringing him up that's where zayvon collins has success and if you run that type of defense that's the role that makes sense for him Mm. all right moving on to the big board here at 19 in between jeremiah wusukoromoa and nick bolton you have jason owe Edge defender of Penn State. You like him a lot. You went back and watched the tape. I was a big fan of Owe after his 2019 season. And this season, I think you've seen a lot of success. The Indiana game is mm-hmm. is a joke. Like those those Indiana tackles, I think, have the two worst tackle tandems in the NFL. I mean, not in the NFL, in college football. And he just, like, destroys them. Yeah. I think outside of that, you do see some success. There's the Iowa game 
Is Alaric Jackson 77 for Iowa? Does he play left tackle? Yeah, the left, probably, yeah. The left tackle for Iowa gets bull rushed by Jason Owe. Like he puts him in the turf a handful of times in that game. I think you saw him win multiple ways like I didn't expect in 2020. Like I expected him to be this pure edge guy, pure speed guy. But he was actually going through some dudes, converting speed to power. Uh, Owe at 19, I really like. Yeah, he, his tape to me was so much better this past year, even though his pass rushing grade almost identical. But it was on a more... You could, it's easier to have a higher pass rushing grade if you're only know come in and know your pass rushing. He was playing every down. Uh, you know, had to worry about the run game when he came in, and he had an eighty nine point eight run defense grade, which to me was really where you saw the light turn on, light switch turn on for him this year. Is just the way he attacked blocks was so much more, and even the, that like limited amount of improvement is very encouraging because. This guy is physically different than anyone else in this draft class. We've said he runs in the four threes at 250 plus pounds, is 5% body fat or whatever at 250 pounds. Just a different animal than like maybe the NFL's ever seen in terms of physically what he can do. Like he is just that level of outlier that he's been playing football for five years now, even though he's what, 22? Yeah, he turns 23 he's, this year. He's a little old. He is a little on the older side. I don't know how that happened because this is only his third year. Uh, he was a part of the 2018 recruiting class, but he was just old. Like he, he was, was born old. in December. Like he was Calvin Ridley, basically. December 1998, something along those Coming lines. Coming out. So, yes, he's old, but he's also been new to the game. Like He's only been playing for, what, he started his junior year of high school playing football. He's a basketball kid. So Apparently, he's playing basketball since he was five. Yeah. I mean, And I then, like, so. didn't he, pick up a football until his junior year. Uh, so... I could kind of forgive that even if he is maybe on the older side. But I just think like his physical tools and the fact that every year you've seen him grow and this, like when it all does get put together, it is just different than anyone else in this draft class. You see him chase down running backs in space and it looks like, I mean, it looks like, it looks, I mean, it looks faster than Chase Young, faster than like Montez Sweat in space. The guy He's is also got great truly, bend. Yeah. So the ankle flexion. Chris Collinsworth do, was getting heat because he said he never heard about flexible ankles on the broadcast yeah. in the Steelers game. But ankle flexion matters. Yeah. Being able to bend the edge with your ankles right there is, is big. All right, let's move oh, down the board do a little things, bit. And I think 19 might even be a little low on what he brings to the table. Wow. 19 might be low on Jason Owe. Yeah. I love that. All right, uh, let's jump down the board a little bit here. Remember, you can check out the full board on pff.com on Tuesday morning. Jalen Phillips. Edge defender for Miami. He's getting a lot of love in the draft media scouting community right now. Where are you with Jalen Phillips? I'm just curious to see where he does end up going off the board because former five-star recruit, retired though because of concussions midway through his college career. That's going to scare the hell out of some teams. You know, one concussion, is he going, is that going to be it for him? And obviously like everyone playing football is one hit away one play away whatever but this guy like actually has retired already like that's an actual massive concern for him and he really only started to put it together down the second half of this past season and, and he does another guy who 6'5 266 length size kind of all the, the physical attributes you could want I'm a fan of this game I just I'm curious to see where the NFL ends up on him with all those kind of off-field issues. Walker Little is the next guy we'll bring up. The Stanford offensive tackle I think missed the entire 2019 season with an injury and then opted out. One game, 2019. Oh, one game in 2019, but then opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID concerns and not playing in the Senior Bowl. Even though I believe he, I think he turned down an invite. Oh wow! I've been here because well. So he's being, uh, he's working with Paul Alexander, the former Bengals offensive line coach pre-draft. I was talking with Paul the other day, and he said, like, this guy's feet for a six foot seven, 
and he's like 315 off his tackle are just special and he's just sent me these videos and, and they really are but we just it's one of those positions where you if you haven't faced a guy in two years you have teams are going to have no clue what they're getting that's why it floors me that he he would uh not go to the senior bowl i like would guarantee he would get an invite with how you know how he's played how, how good he is compared to some of the other tackles that are getting invites there so I'm still kind of hesitant, but I'll trust uh, Paul Alexander when he said this guy's the first round tackle. Wow! Right now, so people forget that he was like one of the most coveted recruits in yeah. that entire class, and that was a, a, that was a class with Leatherwood, with Jedrick Wills, with Makai Becton. He was right up there with those guys. Five star consensus, five star yeah. went to Worse. Stanford. He, he um, was a monster football, basketball, and track athlete in high school. Absolute monster. All right, forty three. You have yeah, he had the highest spark score of all those guys coming out. Really? So of, that of Leatherwood that, Wills, wow. Yeah, that tested off the charts. He had the highest spark score. That's nuts. Ardarius Washington, TCU safety. I know a big. You're you're a big fan of his. He's one of your guys. You talk about my guys mm-hmm. in the draft process. This is one of your guys, Ardarius Washington at forty three. Where do you think the NFL ends up on him? I think this is going to be one of those guys like similar to Curtis Weaver, where we're higher on him because of the production, what we see on tape, but the traits are what's going to drive him down draft boards. Guys, small, like so, legit, short, and not big. Yeah. Where so are you at with him? Our Darius Washington. And then you got to bring up Washington's Elijah Molden, the slot cornerback, in almost like the same vein. Elijah Molden, 5'9, 190. Our Darius Washington, 5'8, 179. Small dudes. They're like they are objectively not kind of the, the size you worry about when projecting the NFL. Like you want the guys who have, like, it, it just shows up more size strength speed once you get to the league but i think those guys are good enough at football and they see the game at a high enough level and they play a physical brand of football despite their size that i'm gonna bet on both those guys to be productive nfl players maybe not necessarily pure safeties maybe they're limited in terms of what the role and responsibilities you can ask them to do but at the very least those guys will be quality slot cornerbacks in the nfl Elijah Molden's one of the most productive slot cornerbacks over the past two seasons. Like this guy, yeah, very limiting in the slot for Washington. Also, it's not DBU, but Washington and specifically coach Jimmy Lake knows how to coach up a DB. Like yeah. Byron Murphy was very successful coming out. Marcus Peters, going back to Marcus Peters, Kevin King, who if you listen to the Chris Collinsworth podcast with Devontae Adams, you won't find a guy higher on Kevin King than Devontae Adams. And I know there's bias there, but he talks up Kevin King like he does Richard Sherman, saying he has that ability in the NFL you know when it all comes together obviously there's some bias there don't look don't look at me like that i'm not uh, i'm looking at Devonte adams like that <laughs> all right another guy we'll bring up here 47 so you have elijah molden at 49 or darius washington at 43 gotta bring up this guy aleem mcneil and i'll start 47th ranked player on the board defensive tackle for nc state where it's 29 for them his background is absurd dude i think had more than 30 scholarship offers coming out of rally north carolina including bama Virginia Tech, some top programs around the country. I Mm -hmm. I mentioned Virginia Tech and Bama in the same sentence. But Bama, he turned down Bama for NC State because he wanted to stay close to home. Six foot two, 272, played linebacker and running back. He scored over 30 touchdowns as a high school running back. That's absolutely absurd. Turn on the tape. Just Google Aline McNeil huddle high school highlights or something. Or you could just do Aline McNeil huddle highlights. Mm -hmm. This guy's out here hurdling kids at six foot two, 272. Absurdly athletic. I think he's explosive off the line. I think if he goes to Bama, more people are talking about him. Like, honestly, I, I honestly do. Like, going to NC State, you kind of get forgotten there. But I think his tape is very good. He's a very, you know, 
Grading is very good for Lee McNeil in 2019 and in 2020. I could see him as a late riser in the process because I, I really like Lee McNeil as this interior defensive lineman uh, coming out of NC State. Yeah, that's this is like the one guy on this list that I was the most scratching my head over is not getting more hype because and like all I could come up with was that he goes to NC State because like you flip on the tape and is legitimately a difference maker and in a role where you're not supposed to necessarily be a because he plays maker. a ton of nose. No tackle in three man set in three man rushes. A lot of times there at NC State. That's true. And a lot of times he's just used as like a looper or like setting up blitzes or stunts when they do bring four guys. And he still gets home. Like this guy, I, I think that physical your ability to get off the line of scrimmage is so important in the defense tackle position to you know to being able to affect opposing passers. Like I think he'll just be a problem if you can get him some better technique as a bull rusher he will be a guy that can consistently just move no excuse me centers back into quarterbacks because of how physically dominant he really is and lee mcneil exciting guy i think he leads all power five defensive linemen with at least 100 snaps along the note at nose so either head up or shaded on shaded on the center in pass rush win rate that's how good that guy's been from um, a pass rushing perspective lining up at a position where you're not supposed to rack up a ton of pressures all right moving down the list here we're going to move quickly Peyton Turner I haven't watched this guy yet you told me over the weekend or this morning Peyton Turner edge defender Houston's a dude what do you see so he's 6'6 270 long arms and he's flexible 6'6 270 now he Four games only this year before he got hurt. Um, but then 90.0 pass rushing grade. He's the guy I am most excited to watch at the Senior Bowl. Got a Senior Bowl invite because 6'6", 270 with his, like, with his flexibility. And he's pretty solid at an athlete at that size. He's not like a plotter by any means. That's a different level that I, I think he could turn some heads there. And then the other guy I wanted to bring up in this conversation, the guys that I really hadn't watched a ton of because they weren't. You know, power five guys that weren't you know on my tv screen every saturday tay gowan from ucf who actually opted out the cornerback opted out uh he comes at 69 on the board opted out this past year declared for the draft i think he's he was a juco guy only one year at ucf but he's 6'2 185 and he probably is going to run i'd say low four fours like he has legit makeup speed you just never saw him get stacked deep in the game i uh, watch that I was like really open my eyes was when he went up against Simi Fajoko for Stanford guy who made, made the freaks list runs like a four three something and was and is like two hundred twenty five pounds it was it's just, like six it, five right yeah I mean, Simi Fajoko runs a four three is six five and like what two hundred fifteen two hundred twenty pounds like, and guy's a Gowan was in his hip pocket down the football field anytime he went deep so that one I was like okay this guy's got a little something different that you know if you're sixty ninth on the board that's around the third round that's when you take chances on guys like that two more names you want to bring up on the big board here before we dip uh two highly regarded recruits ranking outside the top 90 on this board here you have dylan moses at 96 and then trey smith of tennessee the interior offensive lineman for tennessee at 98 and to remind everyone tay take allen 69th on pff's board and then peyton turner the houston edge defender at 55 talk to me about dylan moses and trey smith and their current ranking yeah these are two guys so if you like flash back to 20 Gosh, what would it be? Twenty I'm getting like I'm like on twenty eighteen, maybe. Flashback to twenty eighteen season. Probably every pre draft box had these guys in the first round. For the twenty nineteen NFL draft. Yeah. Everyone was saying that obviously then uh Am I getting those years wrong? No, flashback to twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every pre draft mock would have for the first round in twenty twenty. 
Dylan Moses gets hurt, Trey Smith has the off-field issues, and then they come back and they're just not. Like Trey Smith, you're always kind of hoping for that next step. You're always hoping for the consistency to match the fact that he's, you know, physically this this ox of an interior offensive lineman that can throw people around. And it just never did. And with Moses, you're just hoping that the speed of the game, that he would finally develop, you know, some sort of instinct, some sort of playmaking ability. And he really never has. And yeah, that could happen at the NFL level. It's obviously like there's still time. It's not, not writing guy off by any means, but after four years of college, if that hasn't been the case, you just get a little wary of a guy. And that's why they're, you know, third round fourth round type values in the board now interesting stuff that's the top 100 big board some of the notables there one we didn't bring up i just kind of leave it on this sean wade plummeted down in like into the 70s after you know what has been a really rough season for the guy mm-hmm. we talked about him at length but that's another big follower to check out the full big board go to pff.com on tuesday it'll be live 95 until next time thing to remind everyone if you want on the mailbag episode which is which we record on thursdays comes out that night and fr- or friday morning if you want your question answered first, go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. If you want to get your question answered but don't have opportunity to subscribe and rate and review, DM us on Twitter, reply to a tweet on Twitter. We'll get those questions in. Don't you worry on the Thursday episode. Until next time, the final college football game plays tonight, Mike. Until next time, it's the end of the college football season, and it's time for draft season. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 Drafts.